Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. I thank you for joining us in this week two of our season. And I am especially excited today. Not because Stuart Robson's here, because you may have noticed he was here last week too. In fact, he looks pretty much the same as last week. He just looks a little (laughs) older, uh, a whole week older in fact. But because making her seasonal debut, it's the outstandingly excellent Alison Rudd. Later on, we'll be uh, talking about the story that the Times broke. There's a plan afoot by Premier League clubs to uh, to end the transfer window just before the first match of the season. We're going to start with the first ever Premier League game at Wembley. And joining us as a special extra guest in the studio, it's the uh, only living Gearbrandt in captivity. It's Mr. James. Now, huge game. For Chelsea, given what happened uh, the week before, that home defeat to Burnley that we talked about, the sendings off, the tensions, the injuries, the suspensions. I, I mean, two minds about this, because um, we had this discussion last night on, on, uh, on my ESPN show with Steve Nichol as well, where he said, like, oh, but, you know, Spurs deserve more from the game. It's interesting because it strikes me, Allison, that if you break this down to individual episodes, you had the, the Morata chance, which he completely flushed. Um, Which was the best non-taken chance of the match. No question about it. Yeah. You know, Willie and, and Kane both hit the woodwork, and then you had, in my opinion, two pretty crass mistakes by Uris and, and Batshuayi, obviously. And then a phenomenal free kick from Alonso. Now, Spurs took a ton of shots, but were there really that many other chances where you feel like, yeah, they definitely should have scored? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I thought or was on, on, another, day, on another day Kane would have. I think. I mean, he did have four. And you'd say on another day, Morata would have four. Too. He had four, but Morata had one chance. Kane had four, and normally, if Kane has four sniffs at goal, he will take one, and um, he didn't. I'm getting slightly bored of people saying Spurs deserve more from a game. They did not change the way they played throughout the 90 minutes. Chelsea adapted. Mm. Well, then they deserved to win because they saw what was happening and they changed. Spurs just kept going. It was lovely rhythm and they're beautiful to watch and they press high up the pitch and it's relentless. Yeah, I sort of felt the game could have gone for another three hours and they probably wouldn't have won it. Spurs, with space out wide, every time they had the opportunity to cross the ball, they should have been crossing the ball and put in Aspenicueta yeah, under a little bit more pressure. You know what? You, 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 you say that, right? 
uh, about the crosses. And, and, and match of the day last night, you know, you had Jermaine uh, Genius pointing out, oh, you know, why don't Trippier and Davies just get forward, take on one-on-one, put in crosses? Chelsea are a very big team, right? Christensen's a very tall man. David Luiz is good in the air. Rudiger jumps very well, at the very least. Alonso's tall. Bakayoko's big. Morata's big on set pieces. This is not a team We're that... We're not talking about set pieces. When it went out to... Wait, not in set pieces, but I'm saying to, when you put the ball into the... Where did where did Tottenham score their goals against Chelsea last year, mainly? It was the ball that they played, the diagonal ball, and if you yeah, can so expose Chelsea... Yeah, snuck away and stuff. Alice uh, Aspilicueta as the you right... You call him Alice. I was going to call him Alice, yeah. Aspilicueta, <laughs> when he's playing as the right-sided centre, he's a magnificent uh, defender. But aerially... He's going to be beaten, and Deli Ali can make those runs. And I don't think they. And it doesn't have to be a lofted crossing. I'm talking about balls bent in behind them. There was many, many chances they had to do that, and they turned away from that and went somewhere else to try and be patient. And that's that suited but Chelsea. They seem to do that more with with set pieces with with, with Christian Eriksen. Mm. Well, they relied so much on Eriksen. I don't know. I mean, it was it was it was Eriksen or nothing. It was Eriksen or bust for, for Spurs. I love Poch. I want to see them do well, but I kind of thought, you know, in this game. I was really disappointed in some players, um, and on, on the Spurs end. I thought Vertonghen should have been sent off. Um, and the fact that you put yourself in that position um, where the referee can send you off, I don't, you know, I, I don't think he'd be happy with that, first and foremost, given that, that he's a veteran at, at this stage. And, and Dele Alli, I thought he was, he was just bottled up by, by Louise. I mean, am I, am I wrong here? I feel that... Ericsson has a tendency, a little bit like Philippe Coutinho, to drop really deep. He has a real eagerness to try and make things happen. I think sometimes he can he can drop very deep to make these things happen, but in a way that actually slightly neuters his effectiveness. Tottenham had a lot of possession, a lot of shots, but if you actually kind of think about the, the entire 90 minutes, there were not a huge number, if any, really outstanding clear-cut chances. If you think about it in terms of expected goals as well, yes. Do <laughs> you know he wrote a piece about unexpected goals? Just what it says on the side, if you want to know more about expected goals, James has an excellent piece in, in the Times well, a few days ago. My household is obsessed with that stat now. Yeah. They, they, as it they, comes out, everyone's going, drum roll, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but he quoted a discussion I had with our pal Craig Burley, in fact, mm. over expected goals. I was I was quite chuffed. We have a story in the paper with this whole business about playing at Wembley, blah, blah, blah. In the summer, I had a chance to sit down with uh, with Vertonghen. I asked him what was different about Wembley, and and he said, well, you know, it's it's bigger so that, you know, when you're keeping a high line, it's already something you got to get used to. Him, then. <laughs> <What>? Well spotted, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. How much bigger is it? Is it really A and B? It's not like Spurs only ever play at White Hart Lane, right? They go they go away from home sometimes, right? And I know for a fact that they've changed their training pitches so that they're exactly the same size at Wembley. I can we knock this on the head once and for all that the, 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 this Wembley nonsense? I get the sense that Pochettino came out and said he doesn't want this as an alibi either. Stuart, you played the game. Is it just stupid that we keep going on and on about this Wembley nonsense? And might I say, yeah, Spurs have to get used to it because you know your own pitch better, blah, blah, blah. Spurs have played there far more than any of the teams that they're going to play at Wembley, right? And I always say the only difference between playing at home or away is the referee. 
when you're playing at home, you get more decisions from the referee because there's 60, 50,000 people screaming every time something happens. When you're playing away from home, you don't get those same decisions. So there should be no problem for Spurs at Wembley. It's, it's, a, it's a total myth that they can't play there and the pitch is how too big. Is, how much bigger is the pitch? Probably three or four yards wider and maybe three or four yards longer. It's not going to make that much of a difference to Tottenham's closing down. And if you close down well enough, you can make the pitch as small as you want it to be by making the, the opposition play in small areas. But it lifts the opposition, doesn't it? Nice trip to Wembley. Lovely. I'll have that, they say. So you're being sarcastic, so clearly no, you don't buy this no, Wembley. No, no, no. I think... I think there's something about a game at Wembley that is emotionally exhausting. And if Spurs don't do... No, but they only have to do it once. If Spurs have to go through that for every home game of the season... There was a lovely piece on the radio before kick-off at about noon. One of the reporters was saying that uh, Maurizio Pochettino was wandering around Wembley four hours before kick-off, whistling in the corridors to try and make it clear to everyone, his team, the opposition, anyone watching, any media representatives, that they're very relaxed about it being their home. This is ah, just just another day at Wembley, just another corridor, not hallowed turf, not a special occasion. Well, hallowed turf, they only built the stadium like 10 years ago. It still right? has yeah. iconic status. It's still bigger than any other ground. It's still it's a very where big we ground. play our best and most important matches, although that seems no, to be being diluted. I know it's being diluted. It's being diluted and diluted. But there is some. Right. Exhausting about the walk from the dressing room to the pitch, the way you walk out, the arch, the tannoy sound, the size of the number of seats you've got in there, the noise generated, the fact that you will have played a cup final there or a cup semi final there recently. They're going to have to get very used quickly to the, the, the emotional exhaustion of that. It's not practical. I think in the past, Pochettino said he would have preferred White Hot Lane to have been a bigger pitch for lots of the matches they've been at. James is there. James, you have a choice now. You can be on the side of, of Allison and the guy that she heard on the radio and, and witchcraft and hoodoo and all that stuff. Or you can be on the side of Stuart Robson, Mauricio Pochettino, myself, <laughs> the, the side of <laughs> the, enlightenment, the enlightenment and reason. <laughs> Which path will you take, Gear I'm going to try and, and, and navigate a sort of uh, a middle way between the two parts. I, I do agree with Stuart that by the end of the season, we're not going to be talking about a Wembley hoodoo. I mean, that's kind of, that's obvious. They've got, you know, 18 more league games to play and, and as yet unknown number of cup matches. Uh, and yet at the end of last season, we were talking about a London stadium hoodoo, weren't we? I'd be very surprised if Tottenham don't win more of their home matches this season than, than West Ham did last season. It's understandable that, that there's still talk about a Wembley effect because I think, you know, you look at their home form from last season and they won 17 and drew two of their 19 matches at White Hart Lane and their their record at Wembley, albeit, yes, they've played better teams because they played there in the Champions League last season. But and also they rotated some of those Champions League games and left out some of their better players, yeah. But their record at, at Wembley is undeniably, it's very poor, you know, in the Pochettino. They play really good teams. I, I, I've mentioned that, but... The reason that home advantage exists in football and that it's even a thing and that you you might expect, you know, in a, for a professional game, you might expect that there would be, you know, make no difference which stadium you play at and that home advantage would be negligible. But the whole reason that there is such a thing as home advantage is a huge part of that is founded on familiarity. So it's only logical that, you know, it's going to be less strong at a stadium where, all right, they played their last season, but they've not played at Wembley very often relative to their whole history at White Hart Lane. 
I, like you, am a little bit sceptical of things like pitch size, particularly now, yesterday, obviously, was, was I think, their, their seventh match at Wembley in the Pochettino era. They're used to that by now. If they weren't before, they certainly are now. On the Chelsea end, I, don't know, I get the sense that when Conte just focuses on coaching his team and his players, he's pretty darn good. Mm. When he starts worrying about signings and who's there and who's not there and blah, 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 and why can't I have Alexandro? Not quite the same thing. I mean, am I wrong? You're absolutely right. I think he's a magnificent coach. Uh, when he's concentrating on the players and the formation and the tactics, uh, he's also a good man manager because the players believe in what he's trying to do on the coaching field and they know that it works and it has worked for him for many years now. When, as Mourinho does, he tries to manage through the press and has a tantrum, he doesn't look the same sort of manager, Antonio Conte. You know, he had a great rapport with the players last season. That rapport seems to have just been lost so far. He's not celebrating in quite the same way. I was desperately trying to look how the players reacted to him at the end of the game. They weren't the same hugs they were last year when they were winning games and they were all going to the fans. Conte was a little bit isolated at times and players didn't look at him in quite the same way. So I think there's a slight problem. Well, with that in mind, Alison, it's August 21st. Uh, We have 10 days left in the transfer window. Do you think they're going to add somebody? And if they do, what's the profile of the player you would add? I think, although Bakayoko looks like he will be very good. There was an element of him getting used to just what Premier League football is, and he wasn't fully fit either. So a fully fit, up to speed, getting used to the Premier League, he's, he's, he's good. But I think probably more backup in centre mid, because I don't think Fabregas does the um, the whole 90 minutes week in, week out anymore for them. And I think some sort of clever clogsy transfer, like plucking Danny Rose from Spurs. I mean, you may as well take someone from an arrival and really sorry, we've unsettle seen We've just seen... Sorry, sorry. Danny Rose upsets me. We have just seen Marcos Alonso go, score two goals, man of the match at Wembley. He's not a midget like Rose. He's tall. He's strong. I'm not he saying he would replace... Kicks. Oh, okay. I'm not saying he'd replace, but so I mean, what, he, no, but you know, you, they, 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 had, the, they had a very clear first team last season, Chelsea, but they only had one competition in which to play. If you're going to do well in the league and in Europe, you have to be able to give someone like Alonso a break. You have to be able to mix it up. You have to see there are times when someone like Danny Rose, someone like there. Danny Rose could come Kennedy. along. No, but my, yeah, but the, the first thing I said was, was centre mid. That is, that is yeah. probably more important. Stuart, you're, you're on board with that, eh? Central midfield, more than another striker, maybe? Uh, central midfield, I think, is a key for them, as, as Alison said. Well, Christensen can play there, apparently. Yeah, as a holding, I saw him play for Borussia uh, Mönchengladbach as a holding midfield player. Uh, he's not going to get on the ball and dictate the play. He'd be quite a good defensive player in there. Uh, he wouldn't be as good as David Luiz was in certain aspects yesterday. He'd pass as well as Luiz, yeah. right? Probably not as good as passer as uh, David Luiz, I don't think. David Luiz, those big diagonals. David, David Luiz is composed on the ball. I'm not sure Christensen, if he was put under a bit of pressure, would be able to keep hold of the ball. stupid hair that David Luiz has anyway. <laughs> and Bakayoko, I think, will be an excellent player. Um, but but I still think they need another midfield player. Central midfield. Central midfield player. And I would say a right wing back. Are you on board with all that? I would. I think they could. They could do with a with a right wing back. I. I think as well. The relationship between uh, and Antonio Conte and, and Michi Batshuayi is one where he's never given a great sort of sense that he really trusts Michi. And yesterday, I don't think will necessarily have helped. So I think possibly could do with could do with maybe another another backup striker as well. 
This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every single game in the Premier League. That's 380 games, every single game in the Champions League, Europa League, and FA Cup. Now, you can get all this for just £8 uh, if you sign up for an eight-week trial. And with that in mind, Alison... What was your favourite goal this past weekend in the Premier League? My favourite goal was that scored by Manolo Gabbiadini. The man is named after a shoe. (laughs) Partly because I was there. Goals are always better if you're there. Um, 11th minute, so it was nice and early, and they'd gone over nine hours without scoring at St Mary's. And there was that lovely sense of happy relief in the sunshine and it was a very nice goal very slick move it's always nice when the goal scorer starts the move off and exchange passes with Redmond I do like Manolo because he sort of doesn't really look like a Premier League striker but he plays like one and it uh, set up what was the best match on Saturday fun Manolo Gabbiadini fact and a feature story idea for you Alison or anybody else who might be listening Manolo Gabbiadini has a big sister named Melania who also plays football and who is an outstanding footballer. In fact, uh, certainly in women's football, she's probably achieved far more than Manolo Gabbiadini's achieved in men's football. Now, I imagine Manolo Gabbiadini's a little boy playing with his sister in the backyard. And uh, Is she older or younger? She's older. She's like four years older. And getting his rear end kicked time and again by a girl. And I can think of one, and this takes us into the realm of basketball, but there's one very famous analogy there. That is Cheryl Miller, one of the greatest ever female basketball players in history, and her little brother, Reggie Miller, who went on to play for the Indiana Pacers and was also really, really, really good. And I'm always fascinated by at what point in time did the younger brother, because of genetics and whatever, did he become better than the big sister? In athletics in particular, the younger sibling outstrips the older because they're made to do things quicker than they would have done because they're always trying to keep up with the older brother. Normally, genetically, you would expect them to overtake a woman quicker, but the psychological effect of your sister being better at sport than you might make you more psychologically ambitious. Sure. Your favourite goal of the weekend? Uh, the first one in the Premier League uh, at home for Huddersfield Town, Aaron Moyer. I thought it was a good individual goal. He looks the like hood of the ball, yeah. Yeah, of course. You got to you got to keep everybody, all the all the ball is people it, happy. Is, is, is Aaron Moy? I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I knew you were going <laughs> to like. I like him too. Yeah, yeah. Do you see a little bit of yourself in Aaron Moy? Because I kind of, kind of, no disrespect, I don't remember you that much as a footballer. But I kind of imagine you to have been an Aaron Moy type. Well, when I was playing in central midfield, I would like to think that I could do both sides of the... I expected to do both sides of the game. On certain days, you'd be more defensive than other days. But on when you were on top of the game, you'd be doing all the attacking side and the creative side of the game. And I think Aaron Moy can do both sides of the game. He's not a holding midfield player. He's not a number 10. He can do both sides of the game. And he showed that yesterday. He got his tackles in. He passed it quite well. And then scored a, a very good goal. And it wasn't just a shot from distance. He played a little one-two, got the return pass, and then had the composure to bend it into that far corner. So I thought it was a magnificent goal and a great moment for Huddersfield Town as well. That guy also, I know he's Australian, but he has a really big brain. Mm. Um, because... <laughs> 
if I, I honestly like I, I sometimes I wonder how like Wagner's system can work without people just poking massive holes in it. But whenever whenever you think there's a hole, like that guy, like Moy's bald head just appears in the middle of the park and he cuts things out. Um, and I'm, it's not like sure he's, I'm not sure he's a great athlete. You know, no, he's, not, he's, he's not got great pace, but he seems to be able I to get around got, the food. He's, he's got, got good brain. Mind thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I was pleased for him. Okay, now just last week, Stuart, um, you were saying nice things about mm. Arsenal. This week, Arsenal lose away to Stoke. I actually think, and I'm going to give this away at the top, I think Arsenal kind of got screwed a little bit here by some bad officiating and that they deserve love again. Are we going to get two straight weeks of Stuart Robson saying nice things about Arsenal, I can't, even after a defeat? I can't give them love because they lost the game, but I thought they played quite well. I thought they dominated large periods of the game. They were unlucky because they should have had uh, at least two penalties probably. But they still, if you don't defend well enough when you're being counter-attacked, and Arsenal didn't on two or three occasions, which allowed Hesse to score his goal, Monreal trying to play him offside, you've still got to defend well when you're in total control of the game. And Arsenal were in total control of the game in terms of their passing, the amount of chances they were creating, uh, their style of play, but didn't defend well enough again, and that's going to be their problem being caught on the counter-attack or not defending balls into the box well enough. On this occasion, it was being counter-attacked too easily. Looking at this Arsenal lineup, right? He plays with a back three and there's one centre-back, you know, because Monreal and Kolasinac are imposters as, as centre-halves. Um, you've got you've got Ozo, who might as well not be there. There's no Alexis Sanchez because the poor boy's not well right now, as, as we know. Um... This is nonsense, right? And yet they go there and they get the. There was a Stonewall penalty, the Jew front on Bellerin. And yeah. I have to say, in the weekend where we've introduced VAR in, in Germany and, and in Italy and, and Portugal as well, have it. Come on, let's get with the times. You don't want to have a guy behind the goal, but like, what, what is this? Like coin flipping? Do we know why it wasn't a penalty? I think, I think someone suggested it's because he looked like he was. Already stumbling. Oh, we're not allowed to give a penalty. Yeah, yeah, no, but it was so obviously a penalty. That's the only reason I can think of why it wasn't one. Are we going to be so negative about Arsenal? Were you? No, well, they have they have lost at um, Stoke with less gumption in the past. That there was there was more cohesion. You mentioned Özil. The trouble with Özil is um, there's quite a lot of trouble with Özil actually. One is that he's. He's a better player than he looks most of the time. We know what he can do and he doesn't do it, so that's frustrating. He's a bit sort of down in the dumps, which must be a drain on, just a drain on the, the sort of spirit of the camp, actually. He just looks so miserable. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Sorry. He doesn't you're, look happy. All right, A, you're putting out the body language card. You know how I feel about that. But are you just judging it on his appearance? No, no, he doesn't play with any joy, and I've seen him play with joy. This is this. I'm not. I'm not judging joy. him. What does I'm that not mean? judging him. Matthew Syed playing with joy. I'm not need judging him. As well. Get that hair out of his I eyes am not well. judging him on just having seen him so far this campaign. I am comparing the Urzel, who is an elegant, poised, inspirational, clever player. I mean, that the, there have been times on this podcast in in recent years where we have said there's something magical about what he can see on a pitch. Absolutely, and he's not because it's, this isn't just like the, what just a one-off game where he had a quiet game. I agree with you. Body language can be a ridiculous thing to pick on, except that when you know a player and you've seen them for so many years in the Premier League and you know what they're capable of, 
what's going on. And if you've got a player who isn't happy or is not quite clicking for them, I would drop them because it's not... Sometimes it's worse having someone who's quite good in the team when they can be very good than having someone who's less good but trying harder. Do you see what I mean? There's two players that sum up everything that's good about Arsenal and everything that's bad about Arsenal, and that's Ozil and Ramsey. Ramsey makes run after run into the box. He's a central midfield player. He makes run after run into the box. Always looks as though he might score. But when possession's given away, and quite often when it's an in around him, he'll carry on running in the wrong direction, puts his hands up. Oh, it nearly happened for me. Instead of reacting quickly, because the game is won or lost when the ball changes hands. And Arsenal are poor when the ball changes hands. Ozil does exactly the same. You're, you've talked about his body language. When he loses possession or the ball doesn't quite come to him, he doesn't chase it back quickly. He puts his head up in the air, throws his arms up. Oh, it nearly happened for for me well that's two seconds he's taken by that time the other the opposition are 20 yards away from him and Ramsey Ramsey runs really quickly going forward when he's coming back he looks as though he can't run so it must it must be a, a state of mind that Arsenal when they haven't got the ball don't work as hard as when they have got the ball and that's why Ramsey always looks like he's going to score a goal weirdly we've seen Ozil work really hard when he plays for those guys in white who call themselves mm. world champions so it, it is a bit of it is a bit of an it's odd because one. the mentality at Arsenal doesn't require them to work that hard when they lose possession. I talk Stoke a little bit because obviously the the guy who stole the headlines was 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 Hesse. Mm-hmm. Bad to say, I first saw Hesse play when he was when he was extremely young mm-hmm. in 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 Philadelphia, no less, playing for Real Madrid against the Philadelphia Union, a preseason friendly. When all these Could people, tell? Could you tell? No, I couldn't. I said, like, oh look, I was looking at my thing. Oh look, Jesse's coming on. Who is this guy? <laughs> no, it's like all the Real Madrid players we've 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 heard of are here now. They're playing all these other dudes, and, and he was one of them. And uh, so no, no, I couldn't tell. I, I could tell when he played for Real Madrid, and and, and he was good. And I kind of really really liked this uh, uh, the this setup that he had with with the one striker and uh, and Hesse and and uh, and Shakiri, and then I suppose later. Berahino behind. I thought that's. I thought this is good. Like you got you have you guys have space to run in. You've got Chupamoting up front to go and you know and, and take the punishment. And he was probably the disappointment. Chupamoting when he was playing up front by himself, he didn't really get hold of the ball. Didn't always make the right runs. But Hesse, while he was fit, you could see he tired later on in the game. But he went on one great run in the in the first half when he went past three or four challenges, and the movement for the goal, albeit that Monreal shouldn't try and play him offside. Was a, was a, he passed the ball, continued his run, that little burst of pace, and a good finish. So he looks to be a good signing, uh, coming in off that left-hand side. Shakiri coming in off the right. If his hamstring injury is not too bad, he, you know they both look sharp in the first 20, 25 minutes. But isn't, isn't Mark Hughes taking, I don't know, there's something about Mark Hughes and his plucking of players who have played for the biggest clubs and won Champions Leagues but not actually played in them and done that sort of, They've got this. Their CV looks amazing, mm. but they're not being given the chance. And then he thinks I'm going to get an, you know, an A star player for B minus money. I want to change the way Stoke are perceived. There's a lot of them there now at Stoke. And I have to admit, when I read Hesse's CV, I thought, oh, he's going, he's going to be one of those players who, you know, you'll see why he didn't quite cut it mm. or why, why he was too often on the bench. So I was surprised because I thought he did look classy. He was classier than I expected. I mean, he looked like he could he could very well have played for PSG a lot. There has to be a problem with players who get the opportunity to play for a big club and it sort of fizzles out for them. And you think, oh, wonder why, wonder why. 
What's well, lacking? What's lacking? I mean, What's lacking? I, do you want I mean, too many of them in your club? Right, he looked good. He looked good. I mean, he looked good. He looked good. Sorry, so just so we put names on this, right? I mean, in the past, obviously, you've had Shakiri, you've had Bojan, you've had Arnautovic. You know, I'm sure there's somebody else. Oh, you had uh, Afalai as well, right? Mm. Um, but do, do you not recall so, that Marcus has given them all that? Yeah, no, no. That, it's, that, that kind of build up. That but I, I've got these them, people got to me. where they are because they're extremely skillful. Right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody arguing with the technique of any of these guys we talked about. So the fact that a guy like Shakiri perhaps didn't quite make the grade at Bayern or, or at Inter Milan, where there's different pressures and whatever else, Hugh says, look, you can't teach skill at this age, right? These guys have the skill set. We can see that he's technically outstanding. All I need to do is keep him happy, create the right environment, put the right pieces around him, make him feel important, and... And, you know, it's a gamble worth taking, right? How many players do you think at Stoke that's worked with? Bojan had the injury, I know, but it, he had a little spell, but it didn't quite work for him. Shakiri has been in and out. I think at one point Hughes wanted well, to get sold rid of Shakiri. Arnautovic. Arnautovic is a guy who at 17, people are like, oh, look, it's the next Ibrahimovic because he's tall and he can do tricks and his name ends in a nick. Now, obviously, you should wash your mouth out with soap when you say stuff like that. It's clearly an unusual skill set. And then he had all I sorts think, of disciplinary issues. I think he was a success issues. in Stoke. Arnautovic was the biggest success. All those players we've talked about, he was the biggest yeah, success. Maybe Boyan doesn't get hurt. He can be more of a of, yeah. of a success. I mean, you know, when, when Shakiri's fit and not getting roly-poly, he can contribute. But, but they're know. not the fearsome outfit at, uh, at Stoke that people used to go there and think, oh, it's going to be a tough game. They now to play. They play far more football, but they're easier to actually play against than they were before. You know what's funny? I'll mention this. Matt Hughes was there, of course, is our guru. Uh, we were talking about players who are going to disappoint, and he brought up Eric Peters mm. as a guy who wasn't going to be any good because he had injuries or whatever. Eric Peters, I think, in his time he's been there, has been pretty much outstanding. So it's funny how these things work out. And he's not somebody who fits the the Shakiri Bojan mold. Yeah, and then, and then he's also got uh, a tune out of Cameron as well, hasn't he? You know, Cameron's done okay for them, whether it be at right back or centre-half. He still gets in the team week in, week out. So He's, yeah, he's, like, a, he's like a throwback to the old Stoke. He's yeah. kind of like the link to the past. I mean, I, him and Shawcross, yeah. I think in some ways. So perhaps, you know, Shawcross brings something different to the table. Um can Hughes think of Europa League? No. No? No. I think they're going to be a team that will have their good days, but I think they're going to have a lot of bad days. I think they'll finish in the bottom half. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, my name is George Culkin. and I'm Northern Sports Correspondent of The Times. And in Monday's paper, I've written about Sunderland and the Stadium of Light, which is celebrating its 20th birthday this year. I wanted to try and capture the experience of match day, but I didn't want to do it through the usual prism of wind-drawn defeat. I wanted to talk to people who make up the fabric of the club. So I had a chat with John O'Shea to Martin Bain, the chief executive, Jimmy Montgomery, the hero of the 1973 FA Cup final, Simon Grayson, the manager, and I also wanted wind it out to the head groundsman, the first team chef, a steward who spends every match day with her back to the game, to George Baker, who's worked for the club since 1959 and was employed in the shipyards, to Lindsay Twist, who's a friend of mine and a fan who can't contemplate life without Sunderland for reasons which are both personal and very sad. And I suppose that's the point, that although Sunderland aren't in the Premier League anymore, life goes on, this business which employs 1,200 people on a Saturday goes on, and that a club is about shared experience. It's about family, it's about friends, it's about people, and above all else, it's about love. Our colleague Martin Ziegler broke uh, what I thought was a great story, which was that uh, a majority uh, of the Premier League clubs were ready to go and, and vote to, I guess, unilaterally changed the transfer deadline. Um, leagues can do this, basically, up until midnight, the day before the Premier League season starts. Um, that's the last minute that you can go and sign new players. After that, you no longer have that option. You can still sell players um, because, obviously, that's a... And that's a FIFA window, um, but it all stops there. And again, according to Martin's reporting, there was an overwhelming amount of support, mostly from mid-sized clubs and smaller clubs. I think it takes 14 uh, votes out of 20 to go and get this passed, and they'll be talking about it in about uh, a couple of weeks' time when uh, when the Premier League owners meet. Allison, your, your first instinct, obviously if it were to happen, if, if that rule had been in place this year, then your pal Gilfie would uh, would know that he'd be playing the whole season at Swansea. Well, no, he wouldn't because I think if oh, no, that's one of those yeah. that's one of those deals that you know <laughs> Sorry, time 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 expands to fill the deal, doesn't it? I mean, he, he Gilfie himself thought it was it was done and dusted weeks and weeks and weeks ago. It's just that because the, everyone knows that when the deadline is, you extend the chat for that long, and that is part of the problem with any deadline. If you bring it forward so that you can't do any business. After the season starts, weird things will happen in the new parameters. Morally and in terms of um, just enjoyment of the game, it makes perfect sense for there to be none of this plucking one player from one team and putting him in another or losing a key player when you're actually watching games unfold. And, you know, the number of players who are unavailable through, in inverted commas, injury because their heads aren't right, because they don't know where they're going to be playing and they don't want to be playing, getting injured or not giving their themselves 100% and it's oh it's just horrible knowing that you've got someone who could have changed a match and they're not available because there's doubt over their future yeah on a sort of moral and enjoyment level I would like it closed 
But there are all these horrible snags about law and employment law and FIFA rules. As you said, Gab, it wouldn't help that sense of enjoyment knowing that you could lose a player but not be able to easily replace him because you'd put an end to the to the transfer market but other countries were still open. Why can't we have a rule where you can't buy from a league when they've started playing as well? That would make sense. So you can only do business between countries where they're still waiting for the league to start. That would seem... You could never buy a player from MLS because, of course, they play right through the window. Then don't. Then don't. Then then don't. It's just... It's just... It's just... just, Whatever rule there is, there'll be an imbalance unless you have that caveat, I I think. All right. Personally... I think this is stupid and managers moaning and whinging, oh, we're being unsettled. You know, you're always very happy to go and unsettle other teams yes. from, from other countries or from the lower divisions by going and, and, and raiding like vultures, their best players. But, you know, when the shoe's on the other foot, you don't like it. But, Stuart, I'm old enough. Allison probably isn't. But I can remember when the transfer window was open right through the spring in this country. And everything was wide open. And it seemed like in this country there were no rules. Remember George Graham managing Leeds one week when they played against Tottenham and then the next week he rocks up and he manages Tottenham? But then, of course, then you make stupid rules like, oh, no, because he's on loan from that team. He can't play against his parent or whatever. I give up on that. But was it really a big a deal? Is, I mean, well, you, you, was, you, throughout your career, you played and you coached and you worked under those circumstances. Yeah. No transfer window until, I mean, what was it? the deadline was what, April? April, I think, yeah, some, yes, six, seven weeks before the end of the Did season. Did it ruin the enjoyment of the game? Did it mess no, up the teams what, you were on? Yeah, but what happened is not many transfers were made uh, after the start of the season until probably Christmas. They created their own deadline almost. When you started pre-season, you bought the players in the off-season and they came in and you knew what you had to work with. As, as a player, you knew what you, your squad was going to be and as a coach... You knew exactly who you could work with. So that pre-season, you could work on the formations, the tactics, whatever you wanted to do. That was your six weeks to work on the team. Now, managers and coaches have the problem that they might think, you know, I know Sanchez looks how he's going to go, but Arsene Wenger, you know, does does Sanchez fit into the system that I'm trying to play? Where do I play him? What about if I've got him in the side? You can't do that work because you're not sure whether that player's going to be with you or whether he's not going to be with you. If I was a coach, I'd say to the chief executive, I don't want any players bought or sold after a certain date, you know, uh, two weeks before the season starts because I need to be working on the team shape. I can't, and I had it as a, as a coach and it was with the manager. I had all my structure in place, exactly how we were going to play. And two weeks before the season, he went and bought a player that didn't fit into any of the things that I was doing. Was he better than the guys you had? No, he wasn't. Uh, it, was a stra- <laughs> it was a strange signing and... That was the end of me as the coach. I fell out with the manager and it was never going to work after that. Because okay. So, so I, I would say if I was a manager, if I was a coach, I'd want to know exactly who I'd be working with right up to the start of the season. After that, forget it. These are FIFA windows and football is one of the most globalised industries. The people running football, people who own these football clubs, let's not forget, are running businesses. Stan Kroenke didn't get involved because... You know, he's an Arsenal fan and he wants Coach Stuart Robson to have his defensive system in place. If there's an opportunity, you're going to take it. If somebody rocks up and offers you 150 million, if Barcelona get desperate because they can't sign Coutinho, said, well, look, we'll give you 150 million for Alex Iwobi, right? In Robson world, you can't sell Iwobi because it's too late and you're gonna, it's going to mess up my structure. In Kroenke world, he says, well, is Iwobi worth 150 million? No, he's worth so a lot less than that. you took your baseball back to all windows. You just said no windows. 
No, no, no. No, it's it's fine to have windows that make sense for leagues. I think August 31st is a is a decent compromise because you have... You know, Do you not the, feel that sense of you're watching your team play or a team play with that uncertainty? It's... it's well, First it's like, of all, it's like it's like a party starts, but you don't know when the DJ is going to turn up. It's just not right. Virgil Van Dyke, right? He wanted to move. He wanted to move. He couldn't get the move. The season started. The rules are in place, and he's you know grudgingly goes back to Southampton and says, "Well, there's World Cup coming up. I better buckle down. Let me see if I can beat Maya Yoshida for a starting spot." And then let's say Gerard Piquet does his cruciate, and Barcelona are desperate, and they come on August twenty seventh. And they say, we need Van Dyke. Look, he's tall. He can play the ball. He's just like Piquet, only he's not married to Shakira. So here's 80 million for Van Dyke or 100 million for Van Dyke. And Van Dyke obviously wants to go to Barcelona. What are you going to do? You're going to deny an opportunity like that to Southampton to, to cash in on Van Dyke for well, far more than. cash in in January. No, they? because they can't. Because by January, Barcelona is like, well, you, you can't sell us Van Dyke because then you can't get a replacement. Then we'll go and we'll sign somebody else for an inflated emergency amount. That's the reality of it. I mean, more broadly, it's like this Coutinho thing. Somebody was telling me the other day, there's a Liverpool fan, like, well, if they don't need to sell Coutinho now. They can just sell him next summer. Yeah, but next summer, Barcelona might not have an emergency where they're willing to go and pay through the nose. For Coutinho, I mean, I think this is this is the reality of it. There was a great transfer window many years ago when Lescott was wanted by Man City. So was Milner wanted by Man City. Lescott made it quite apparent that he didn't want to stay at Everton, but Moyes played him in the very first game where he had an absolute disaster and they lost six-one. I was at the game where Milner played his last game for Aston Villa and was the star of the show when they beat West Ham four-nil, and that was the difference. Milner was a total professional in the way he behaved. Aston Villa knew they were going to sell him, but still wanted him to play in that last game. Moyes was making a point to Lescott: "We're not going to let you go," knowing full well he was going to let him. But he still played him in that first game where he had a nightmare. So it's how players react as well to to knowing they're going to go. And Van Dyke obviously doesn't want to play. Sanchez doesn't want to play, and one or two others. More broadly, real politic here. I can see why the smaller clubs would be pushing for this because if they have a prize asset, then there would be an incentive to go and, or, or there'd be a mechanism to sell them earlier, especially within England. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, your friend Gilfie. We all love Gilfie, but we know 50 million is, is beyond the realm. Like, no European big club is going to give you 50 million, and the only other big clubs that can afford them are, are mid table English clubs, right? So, when you have that situation, in place, if you are a Swansea, hey, you're happy with the limit. If you're a Manchester United, who say might want to offload some excess player to a, a big European club, you wouldn't be quite so happy, would you? If you're any sort of business, you hopefully operate on what is legal and appropriate. That's why you've got all these chief executives and board members and people in charge of scouting and the budget and so on is you know what the rules are and you operate accordingly and if you can't operate where you've got a manager who can be sensible instead of having a hysterical fit and suddenly wanting to offload somebody that's a penalty that makes the league more competitive because it unsettles a big club that's a good thing in a way you either operate from the top down, like Levy does at Spurs, he has a system in place, which might unravel now, we don't mm. know. But he has a system in place because he knows the rules and he's he's getting the most out of the current salary parameters and transfer deadlines and so on. He's very good at those 
two minutes to midnight deals, isn't he? He's, he's, he, 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 wor- signed, he works the system. He thinks he, he understands. Musa Sissoko. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not, it's not, <laughs> not 100%, he's trying to, but, yeah, but, he, exactly. but he's somebody who knows what the rules are. And so it's instead of moaning about them, I'll try and make them work to my advantage. So I don't have much sympathy for the big club that suddenly wants to offload a troublesome but potentially you might not have sympathy, big fees. But, but the point is, the point is they're not going to vote in favour for it because it's not in their interest to do so. So my question is, do you think they can really get to 14 clubs or are there going to be enough clubs that think that they're big clubs that they oppose it? I don't think it's going to get, be passed. I think the clubs will eventually say, no, we we'll just leave it as it is. All it takes is seven clubs to... Mm. Alison? No, it'll be, cl- be close. I think probably what I'm hearing is, is it won't pass. Having mm. initially everyone said, oh, what a good idea. I don't think it will change. Right, enough of this. How about some quick hits instead? Manchester United win big at Swansea, but it takes them a while to get going. There's even some people who are criticizing Marcus Rashford for not being clinical enough. Alison, you're not going to argue with six points from two games, eight scored, none conceded, are you? Um, no, but it's trendy to do so. I mean, m- most of the themes of phone-ins over the weekend were that Eight goals and six points is meaningless. Let's see what Man United can do against the big teams and when the pressure is on. Clearly, they do have to now perform against bigger clubs and in more stressful circumstances. And if there's a doubt about the way they played against Swansea, it was for the first half, it was a really even match. And Swansea looked slightly more dangerous doesn't matter though does it if over 90 minutes Jose Mourinho can put out a team that can wear anyone out and slowly get goals from all over the pitch from any element of the team then he's going to do very well I'm going to be really excited if he can keep this formation with Mkhitaryan Mata and Pogba behind Lukaku that's a lot of creativity now we can't forget West Bromwich Albion because two one nil victories and they're top of the league in terms of points um Robbo, other than the Egyptian monster at the back, is there anything uh, substantially different about the Pulis machine this year? Absolutely not. Uh, Fletcher has gone and Barry's come in to take his place as the holding midfield player. He'll still play four players uh, in front of that holding midfield player. He'll keep changing the strikers. Uh, he's got a, a massive centre-half, Higazi, who was the best player at the African Cup of Nations, who's good in the air in both boxes, so that's the, exactly the same. Brunt will take a lot of free kicks and deliver great balls into the box. He's just doing what he does very well at the moment in the first two games. He's got to get that consistency over the course of the, the season if West Bromwich Albion is to be in the top half of the table. Huddersfield also make a two in a row by overcoming Newcastle. Now, we talked about Huddersfield last week. There's no need to ever talk about them again because they're <laughs> tiny. Um, and we got, yes, Wagner's Klopp's friend and they both wear the glasses. Ha, ha, ha. And there's also that mini Klopp, but that's more of a Liverpool thing. But anyway, let's talk about Rafa. There's another Liverpool link for you. Um, he's reportedly annoyed with Mike Ashley and unhappy. Um, you have plenty of sympathy for him, right? Um, not sure sympathy is the right emotion because Rafa is guilty, I think, of thinking because he's got the fans on side, he's quite loved there. He's guilty of thinking that he can, like, like, like when you're dating someone and you think, I can change them, the, my love can change them, and they can't and they go into a crappy marriage. Same with, with Rafa. Mike Ashley's not going to change. He's not going to spend dosh. He's not going to bow to his knowledge of what it takes to be a Premier League team. We changed the lighting to cartoon fanfare there. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you. By the way, um, 
if it's Ashley versus Rafa and like being the one who's more loved by the fans is it's really no great feat. No, there? but the Newcastle fans have ha, do get quite cross with their managers as well as their owner. Watford win at Bournemouth. Hey, what happened to your mate Eddie Howe and the, the rest of the ginger fraternity there, Allison? Um, anyway, Robo, they spent big this summer on Andre Gray, Richarlison, Will Hughes, Chalaba. Some might say too many Anglo players, but still. Uh, is there a difference in their approach uh, and will it pay off? Or is this bright start? simply a function of Marco Silva's genius? Uh, I think a bit of that. Marco Silva seems to be a a good manager that not only is a good coach, but also seems to be a good man manager. That's a hard balance to get right. He's got a solid midfield. De Cure and Chalabar have have done really well in that central midfield area, and it's allowed the other three players in front of them, and it's been a combination of different players. Akaka played in the first game. It was uh, grey up front at the weekend. Uh, Troy Deeney's still in the mix as well. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to get much of a look. And they look more solid as a back four. Uh, I always liked Holly Bass as the left back so I think they're going to do quite well this season just around about the halfway mark but it's all down to Marco Silva Who's better, Britos or Hagazi? Hagazi Prodal or Hagazi? Hagazi PK or Hagazi? PK Okay, just checking <laughs> so Make sure you didn't get carried away there uh, Sadio Mane gives Liverpool the win over Crystal Palace snapping the Eagles fine run at Anfield And listen we have a headline here in the game. Mane puts Coutinho in his place, followed by all sorts of statistical evidence that Mane scores more goals than Coutinho, which I probably could have told you that since he's a more attacking player. But speaking as a Liverpool fan, wouldn't you rather have, say, $100 million in cash to go and spend as you like than Coutinho, who's, who's injured? I put Mane in my fantasy team first, ahead of even thinking about Coutinho so Paul Joyce in today's game has it spot on. Maybe Barcelona are going after the wrong player. I know they're very different and Coutinho would fit very well in Barcelona. Emotionally, I think Liverpool could cope losing Coutinho. But I just don't know who they'd spend the money on. Now that Gilfie's gone to Everton, there's no one else I'd want to Stop buy it. Anyway. You spend that on Keita and VVD. There's your answer. Speaking of Coutinho, or Alexis Sanchez for that matter, maybe even Virgil van Dijk or Gilfie Sigurdsson. Riyad Mahrez also happens to be a gentleman who's a major transfer target for a big money move elsewhere. And yet, weirdly, he's not injured, he's not unhappy, he's right in the head, and he actually plays quite well. Um, very well, unless there's 2-0 win over Brighton. Robbo, you should be par for the course, right? Even if you want to move, you're under contract, you're a professional, um, and yet people don't take it for granted to the point that Craig Shakespeare uh, praised him after the game for perhaps being different from the other people we mentioned, who of course are all legitimately injured and all have legitimate psychological problems because they're wanted by other clubs. Uh, it should be par for the course. If you're employed by a football club, and the fo- I don't think Leicester have done anything wrong to Mares, that he should play to the best of his ability. It was only last week when I was listening to a phone-in where the Leicester supporters were saying that Mares was the reason they lost to Arsenal because he lost two challenges in midfield and if, if he doesn't want to play for us, they, he should go. So that's sometimes why people don't want to play when they're on the verge of a transfer because the crowd start to get after them. Mares played well at the weekend. Let's see what he does away from home. He's a professional, though. He's a professional, or just about. Gab, question for you. Um, the Bundesliga and Serie A kicked off this weekend with the benefit of video assistant referees. How did it work out? For your Matt Dickinson would be very would be very proud to, to see how far we've come <laughs> since his first column on this about three years ago. 
Um, no, I think the reception's been been generally pretty good. Some of the complaints that people have had haven't been to do with the timing. People seem to really want to get decisions right. It's been to do with, oh, but, you know, the the linesman made a mistake because obviously there's the one thing where if you flag for offsides and the guy's not offsides, then, you know, you can't go and review that. And people say, oh, it's not fair. Well, yeah, we'll come up with a better system, you know. Um, or situations where people don't seem to understand that it has to be a clear and obvious mistake by the referee and not just a question of interpretation to go and overturn this. I think people people will get used to it. I think the system cuts down on glaring errors. I think it's fair. The feedback from referees has been that they like it because it takes a bit of pressure on them. They don't have those situations where you know maybe they make a mistake in the first half and then go into halftime and they sneak a look on their on their social media feed and like, oh my God, what did I do? And then, you know, subconsciously make up for the second half. I think so far so good. I mean, there's a long season left to go, but I think these tests are important. And um, and yeah, I'm much more on the bandwagon than I was before seeing it actually work. My name's Charlie Scott and I'm one half of The Sweeper, which is the Times Fantasy Football Service. I'm joined by Paddy Bombert. Hello, everybody. You can sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football, which means you'll get an email in your inbox every Friday. And you'll also be able to join our mini league. There's more than a thousand people in that and you'll get the code in the email on Friday. We've had a good start so far in the first two weeks of the season. Ahmed Hagazi was uh, one of Charlie's very shrewd tips this week. Obviously, he had a big haul in the first week, so... Um, Probably a few people jumped on that bandwagon, but he was all on board for that. Uh, West Brom looks solid, and he looks to be at the heart of their defence. Another clean sheet and some bonus points to go with that. Um, the usual suspects, we, we tipped uh, Mkhitaryan, Sadio Mane, Christian Eriksen, who all came up with some nice returns. But also uh, a little left field was was Jonas Lursel in the Huddersfield goal, who is the highest scoring goalkeeper so far, which perhaps is a surprise to a, a few, but Huddersfield... Look incredibly solid at the back and uh, and look to look to be a bargain. Uh, Lursel in goal, Christopher Schindler in defence looks to be a good option as well. He's only 4.5 million, so that's certainly one to keep an eye on going forward. Quick shout out to people who have performed well in our mini league this week. Paul Barrett tops the league now with his team Long Lad. He's on 123 points and largely down to his United trio of McTarry and Pogba and Lukaku who got 37 points between them. And also Ped Hunter, who's in third place, and he's one of our own, a Times video editor. He's the top scorer this game week with 76 points, so well done, Ped. Looking forward to the weekend coming up. Um, United, as you mentioned, uh, uh, probably a big talking point. Pogba got 15 points last weekend, McTarian 10. Obviously, Anthony Martial came off the bench and scored a goal. Lukaku scored. I think in terms of that quartet, and if you include Rashford as well, I think McTarian, as we've tipped in the first two weeks, is, is my best bet going forward. He looks solid. He, uh, he's got four assists in his first two games. He's in that number 10 role behind Lukaku. And um, and their fixtures continue to be pretty friendly now. So um, I think stick with McTarion and you're doing just fine. I also like a bit of Anthony Martial. He's uh, he's played 25 minutes this season so far and scored 16 points, which is a ludicrous return. And a quick shout-out for Harry Kane as well. Obviously, a lot of managers have him and he's expensive and he's yet to score a goal. Uh, so they might be rushing to get rid. But I, I'd pull the trigger on that. I mean, they've got, what, Burnley next this weekend at home, Swansea in a couple of weeks at home, 
Kane's had 14 shots through the first two games of the season, 11 in the box. Uh, so the goals are coming. We know he's a good striker and, and there's plenty of goals left in his tank. And uh, and I think they're imminent. So uh, I'd, I wouldn't pull the trigger on that transfer just yet. Keep him and, and captain him this weekend, definitely. That's our quick roundup of the sweeper. Remember, you can sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. If you subscribe to the sweeper and join our mini league and you're one of the top performing players each game week and you answer a question that we'll be sending out at the end of August, you could be in with a chance to win tickets to the Rio Ferdinand Times Plus event in Manchester on Sunday, October the 1st. And a couple of free copies of his autobiography, I believe, as well. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests, Alison Rudd, Stuart Robson, the only living gear brand in captivity who joined us for the Chelsea Spurs uh, chat. Now, remember... You can sign up to our newspaper. It's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. Um, just search the Times online. And this season, in addition to our excellent content, you also get to access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, and of course, the greatest cup competition in the world, the FA Cup. We're going to be back next Monday after Allison and Stewart's teams go head-to-head. It's Liverpool against Arsenal. Till next time. Bye-bye. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.